always do that. How many times Wait, do I shit. have to have a picture of me dead staring mm-hmm. at... <laughs> <laughs> I think you should save those all and then like make a book at the end. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. Are we ready? You feel good about that? Yes. Hello, everyone. Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Good it's morning. A- oh, yeah. Ooh, got a fuzzer. It's a little, uh, it's Sunday, Sunday morning, morning for us. We recorded. Starting it off with singing. Yes, you know that song. Yeah, okay. Sunday morning rain is pouring. Yeah, just commit. Some skin, baby. Okay, so I was just making sure you knew it. Oh, of course I know it. Of course. Um, but hi everybody, welcome Hello. to brought to you by the, by letter, the letter with Carly, Carly and Kels. Kelsey. Oh my gosh, don't do this right now. <laughs> Welcome to Brought to You by the Letter with Carly and Kelsey. I'm Carly. And I'm Kelsey. And I'm I'm aggressive, apparently. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I'll just, start, I'll just let everyone know that I'm aggressive if you haven't realized that yet. Um, Hi, I'm Carly and I'm aggressive. <laughs> Hi, Carly. But I really don't think I'm that aggressive. I just think sometimes I'm full of life and full of vim and vigor. I agree know? with that. And so a, And a... And a will to seize the day at every op- opportunity. Can I bring up? <laughs> I know you're not going to like my. I don't care. My uh, use of crackhead energy Go in this. Ahead. It's not that you have crackhead energy. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, it is that you have crackhead energy. It's just like when you get hype, mm-hmm. you get like to volume eleven. Really? You like off the charts some- sometimes, and it's but it's fun. It's like a fun. It's not like. You're like Wolf of Wall Street scaring me kind yeah. of. It's like you're just like, I just want to party and have a good time. And I'm like, I just want to sit in a small room that's very quiet <laughs> and have a conversation. Well, but I think yesterday was like yeah. the perfect combo. Mm-hmm. Yesterday ended up being the most magical night. It was fun. In a long time. Yeah. Tell tell everyone. Tell tell the people. Yeah, tell the people. So we were supposed to go to a live show of Last Podcast on the Left yes. at the Met in Philadelphia. And we got there. Well, okay. It was, oh, it was a freaking terrible snowstorm, yes. like, earlier that morning. And so it was slushy. It was, the roads yeah. were full of gray slush. It was terrible. And we go into the Met. Well, first, first off, sorry, I didn't know if you were going to say this. So we go in and, you know, it was like busy i guess and we were just like standing we're like let's get popcorn well we also had a ticket debacle oh yeah we had first off it was full of troubles ticket debacle but if that was our worst it it was fine well it wasn't our worst trouble we'll get to it but anyways (laughs) well it's fine it's it's fine (laughs) we were like standing somewhere because we had like 30 minutes before the show started or 40 minutes or something and this person came up to us and he's like are you waiting in line for a drink and we're like yeah or like, no, for popcorn. For popcorn. Because you wanted popcorn, which I think we were in the wrong line. We were line. definitely in the and wrong also, line. And also, it was like he was a drug dealer. Yeah. It, he, he was like, hey, hey, are you guys waiting for in line for a drink or popcorn? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, well, if you take that elevator yeah. over there upstairs <laughs> and go to the second floor, like, that's where you can go to I the have, bar. I have a hookup for you. You got to get to the second floor. You yeah. got to go. You'll meet my guy. There. His name is Larry. Yeah. No, literally. Yeah. And we were like. Okay. okay like we, we were, were just, ready for yeah. any shenanigans we were to ready happen. for anything so we go and opened up into this like grand bar it was area. like a it very, was beautiful yeah it was really cool and there was like six people there and we were like 
okay so we got i was like this is my vibe yeah this is the vibe that i'm here for it was great so then we were just killing time and had some bevs and all of a sudden the lights go out the power goes out and and it just goes completely dark and we're like oh shit and then for a second it like flickered Mm -hmm. and we were like okay it's gonna come back on like and the people were saying that there's like a backup generator so they were just waiting for it to come on and then we wait like five minutes yeah 10 minutes and like nothing happened so we were like shit this might like this might be bad so we like just we're like should we go kind of walk around find our seats and just like kind of see what happens yeah so we started to walk around in the pit like it was there were no like safety lights like oh yeah we had to use our iphone lights yeah it was was really fun though it was like kind of like shenanigan-y it, it, it has like, the same feeling of like sleeping over in your school or like yeah or like i've never done that when you or do like, the lock-ins or exactly whatever. or like sleeping over at a museum or a library like it's like the similar vibe of like being in a place that's normally like very bright and loud and there it was it was full of people but it was like quiet because everyone was like yeah everything felt it was dark so yeah it was hard to hear in there yeah and so we walk around and we see that we're in like the mezzanine area yeah. so it's like people Boxes. who buy like box seats yeah and so we tried to go down the stairs but they were like no you can't use the stairs because it's like an emergency exit so the alarm's gonna go yeah. off and we we're like okay so they're like yeah you, you can't get down from here so you might as well just stay here until the power gets back yeah. on because like the elevator right and I was like, okay. So we just kind of walked around the mezzanine area, and there were so many empty boxes. Yeah. So we just freaking sat in a box. We just chilled. And it was, like, right next to this grand chandelier. Oh, and yeah. it was just so fun. And we were having, like, real-life talks, just yeah. chilling. And it was just so fun. And then, eventually, the guys came out and were like, hey, your tickets are going to be refunded. Like, it ended up getting canceled. Um, and we're going to reschedule and go. Yeah. But honestly, it turned into a great night because cr- you found this little bar that was like outside of the power outage, mm-hmm. like right outside. It I was think perfect. it was like a square block that everything was out because even the the stop lights were out and yeah. everything. It yeah. was perfect. And it was like this little dive bar yeah. called the Lorraine. And it had like Christmas lights in yeah, it and it like awesome. cool murals. Like a s- alien space mural. Yeah, some weird like goat drawings. Yeah. And it had like a little outdoor area. It was just so cool. And we met like two really cool people yeah. there. And it was, it was just, fun. it was like nice. It was like for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was living. <laughs> exactly. It was, it was like invigorating. Yeah. And I don't feel that way about crowded bars or social settings, but it was the perfect amount of crowded. Like, yeah. It was the perfect, like everybody was in good spirits. It just felt truly amazing. Yeah. It was fun. I felt, al- I felt alive after it. Good. It was so great. So I actually didn't tell you this yet. I felt so alive that on the way home, I text my sister and we <laughs> went out last night. Oh my gosh, of course. See, that's when you are like, all right, I'm amped, I'm going no, out more. And that's when I'm like, I'm ready to snuggle you're like, in. I'm just ready to sleep in with a smile on my face. Yeah, and yeah, you're like, no, I was more, like, I need more, to keep more. going. I called her and I was like, I'm full of vim and vigor and l- I'm happy about life. And she's like, I just got home. And I was like, let's go. Oh so. my gosh. We so where'd to, you go? We went to PJ Ryan's, which is a bar in the town I live in, and uh, it was karaoke. So Maddie, of course. my sister's amazing at karaoke, and it was just like, of course, our look because she like lives for that shit. So she did Paper Planes by MIA, mm-hmm. and then 
we together did In the End by Linkin Park, and I did the rap part. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, did you do your typical one? Semi-charmed kind of life? So that's not my typical one so much anymore. I feel like I can't hit those notes so well. I see. I go for, I go for In the End, if I do it with Maddie or with a friend, mm-hmm. and then I do um, Why Can't I by Liz Fair. Do you know that song? Why can't I breathe whenever I think about you? Yeah. Yeah. So two dudes, though, did. And this is not a short song. Like, it's kind of like known in karaoke that you like shouldn't pick like a five minute long song like you kind of like it's kind of like a dick thing unless you're like a full-on diva that is like really belting it and like right unless you're like actually a performer you shouldn't do a five minute song well i've never learned that rule because i'm not an avid karaoke (laughs) well these two guys did do you remember this song from high school forever by drake featuring kanye west eminem and lil wayne last name ever First name greatest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that That's song. a great song. It is such a good song. And it's hype because the last verse is Eminem. And oh. he raps so fast because like the, it starts, here they go back in stadiums and Shady Spitz is flow. Nuts they go back a day. I like love that song. But there was one part where like I stopped trying to sing along because to be honest, it was like back in the game. Like it was so fast. Yeah. And I literally heard the guy go. Yeah. I don't know how you can do like it. He has like a it's the, supersonic mm-hmm. something going on. It's the on. mid rhyming. I mean, a lot of rappers do it. Like, but I know, Eminem, but I feel like Eminem has a very specific. It's it's because it's mid rhymes. Like a lot of I, I I'm saying like the absolute wrong term for whatever this is. But there's like a lot of people rhyme where they just rhyme the last syllable of a word at mm-hmm. the end of every sentence or phrase or whatever eminem's phrases like the middle syllable rhymes in all of the words in them like yeah. we've been waiting patiently for pinocchio to poke his nose but like it's just like the middle yeah. shit back to the game that it's, you know, he's like emphasizing it. yeah it, it's kind of hamilton-y it is like hamilton's in that same respect yeah. where it's like emphasizing those like very intense but parts. Ken- Kendrick Lamar does that I know I don't I truly don't know anything about hip-hop so do not come for me yo retweet <laughs> hip-hop stands if you're out there I uh, I love hip-hop I just can't the thing with music is like I can't even keep up with my own likes right. like if people ask me what my favorite artists are I'm like um I listen to uh like I just can't yeah I black out yeah, I don't really have a favorite band right now, and I usually do. It's yeah. like it's like weird. I feel like I'm in a weird like limbo when that happens to me. Cause I'm like mm. more so when I was younger. I made it my personality of like I'm a music girl. I love music. I love music. <laughs> but right nowadays, I'm just kind of like eh, I just yeah. I just have a playlist of songs that I keep adding to. That's kind of my current vibe. So I just play my entire liked songs library mm. on Spotify, and it's actually so great. Cause that's like, good though. Yeah. It's so interesting. We're getting soft topic all over the place, but it's so interesting how people curate their Spotify's or whatever mm-hmm. you use because, like, it's done in so many ways, I feel. Yeah. Because I used to do the, like, song things, but I don't do that anymore. Yeah. I do mine based on situation. So, like, for mm. instance, if I'm, for some reason, getting acupuncture because it kind of makes – acupuncture makes you feel kind of euphoric mm. in a way, mm-hmm. it, at least in my experience. Like, once huh. I got over the – scary fact that needles were in me you kind of like relax to this deeper level so i have like an acupuncture playlist then i have a happy a sad but then there's other people that like 
name it like space couch on the moon <laughs> and like you know it's just like a vibe yeah it's more like vibe ish i yeah. guess um so i've started doing that too cool but See, I do playlists based on, like, phases of my life. Mm -hmm. So I just made a playlist called Songs to Scream at the Sun because there's this album. It's actually a hardcore band (laughs) that I really, really like, like, a couple songs off that album, and that's what the album's called. But I also just like that phrase. Like, I like the idea of Songs to Scream at the Sun. So that's my, like, current phase of songs. But the one before that was Sorry That Was Out of the Blue. And that's a a line from a song that I was super into, like, over the summer. And then, so that was, like, my summer playlist. And then I made, like, a winter playlist, kind of. So I do it for, like, phases. Seasons. Yeah, kind of. Changes with you seasonally. And then the one before that, which was... like your hair. Exactly. changes seasonally. Exactly. The one before that was called Everything's Getting Darker because it was oh, my no. last winter playlist. But, like, it wasn't necessarily sad. Like, so that's – I do mine for, like, phases. So then there'll come a point where I'm, like, tired of this current playlist and it'll probably be summer. And I'm like, okay, now I need to make my next, right. like, vibe summer playlist. Interesting. Kinda. It just kind of goes with your rhythms. Yeah. Your and then rhythms. I, like, don't listen to the old ones. <laughs> they just yes. stay there. So interesting. Anyways, tell us how you guys carry your <laughs> yeah i mean hey tell us your favorite karaoke songs do you have any hacks honestly the coolest hack last thing i'll say about spotify then we can get to the this is probably the longest conversation we've had in a long time but it's important because we were living life yes we are were you the one that taught me about daily drive yes yeah the daily drive playlist is great it's a combination of like top songs that you play and then like um, news news podcast podcasts mm-hmm. it's it's really nice it's got like a nice rhythm to it. it the mix of songs at least for me is always like exactly what i need to listen to yeah. sometimes too yeah because the worst feeling is when you really want to listen to something but every song that comes on you don't want to listen to yeah you're like i don't want to listen uh oh, skip 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 yeah but i feel like my daily drive is always like good songs plus it's probably like your top played songs yeah <laughs> probably yeah should we get into it Oh, should, should we explain? Did we so explain we, our podcast? We didn't explain it. We but just introduced it. We introduced the podcast, but we didn't explain it. I guess we should explain it. We are two best friends who want to learn more about the world. Yes. And we decided that a great format to do that would be using the alphabet as a structure for each episode. So yes. the first episode of our season two was Atlantis, starting with A. Then my boy Ben. Benny Frank. Ben for- Franklin. For B, Chernobyl for C, yeah. Drag for D, and now we're doing yes. e. e, and we're doing Mount Everest, Whoa. and I have honestly been fascinated with Mount Everest. It was like one of my childhood fascinations. Like, really? Yeah. Cool. I, it's not like I went and like researched anything, really. It was more so like I was so fascinated by the mystery oh. of Everest. Like, a lot of people die up there. Yeah. There's a lot of like weird things going on so i'm so excited to get into it you ready to learn yes before we start i have to sing a song about that i think of when i think of mount everest there's always gonna be another mountain i'm always gonna wanna (laughs) make it move that's all that's the climb by miley cyrus wow it's the climb i turned on the radio and that song was on like i got in my car and i was like excuse me what year is it i know it's one of those things that didn't need to come back, but it's fine that it came back. I mean, whatever. It's fine. I, it's kind of like a 
song that if I was in a certain feels like would make me cry a little bit probably. Oh, sure. I mean, anything can make. <laughs> oh, speaking of crying to songs, you know how I said the Adele song wasn't sad. And oh, yeah. I it listen- was sad. Yeah, I, I do to cry it. to I it sometimes to- now. Yeah. yeah. I think I was just in a cold place where I was like, I don't feel anything. Yeah. And now I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go easy on me. We both have a lot of music in our hearts today and, and life in our veins. Well, I honestly find that, like, I go periods of time where I'm, like, sad, and then I turn on music and I'm like, oh my gosh, this yeah. is what I've been missing. Yeah, same. And music just seems to, like, bring it up for me. It's Even if it's sad music, it still, like, helps you feel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's spiritual. Well, anyways, thank you, Miley Cyrus, for your efforts into the climb into into mount everest <laughs> into mount everest you're in kelsey Ooh, she should be throwing a concert from the top i wonder <gasps> if somebody's playlist is just the climb over and over again up mount everest like how long it take dude probably some like meme person did that yeah <laughs> or like made a youtube video that was like the climb until you get to the top of mount yeah. everest you know but um it would have to be repeated a bajillion times because it takes forever to climb Mount Everest. Are you ready to learn about yeah, it? Yeah, tell me. All right. <laughs> Our story begins in 1802 when the British launched the Great Trigonometrical Survey to map the Indian subcontinent. Trigonometry? Trigonometrical. Hmm. Trigonometrical. Okay. <laughs> so heavy equipment, <laughs> rugged terrain, monsoons, malaria, and scorpions made their oh, work shit. extremely difficult. Nevertheless, surveyors were able to take astonishingly accurate measurements. Modern GPS technology found that they were only off by 27 feet or 33 feet, depending on which survey you reference. That's pretty damn close for being like analog. In 1806. 02. 02, yeah. And in 1841, the greatest peak in the Himalayas was officially recognized as the tallest mountain in the world by the British survey team led by Sir George Everest, where where the mountain eventually got its name. Good the job, mount- buddy. The mountain range lies along the northwest border of Nepal and the southern tip of Tibet. Mount Everest is known by the Nepalese Sherpas as Sagarmatha, meaning peak of heaven, or by the Tibetans as Komaluma, which means mother goddess of the world. Mm, beautiful. Mount Everest is the world's highest peak at 8,848 meters or 29,029 feet wow. and is referenced as the roof of the world. So while the Everest summit reaches the greatest distance above sea level, Everest is not the tallest mountain. That award goes to Mauna Kea in Hawaii, measuring 10,200 meters or 33,464 feet from its base on the mid-ocean floor. But it only rises 4,205 meters or 13,796 feet above sea level. So Mount Everest is the highest above sea level. Got it. So that is the highest point that you can stand on the earth and right. be on the Like earth. if you would climb both, it would technically you're climbing more feet because you wouldn't start in the water. Well <laughs> to start climbing the It's more so that it's just the tallest. Right. Right. It's really what it is. Okay. It, it. Or like it's just the highest point. Got it. Not the tallest mountain. Since the 1920s, many of the world's top climbers have attempted to scale Mount Everest. A British school teacher named George Mallory participated in the first three documented attempts to scale the mountain from 1921 to 1924. On June 4th, 1924, Mallory and his climbing partner, Andrew Irvine, made a final attempt to reach the top. They were last seen on the afternoon of June 8th. <gasps> trudging. 
<laughs> they were last seen on the afternoon of June 8th, trudging up the mountain in tweed coats, hobnailed boots, and what we would now consider primitive climbing apparel. Oh, no. Some people believe that they did, in fact, reach the top before meeting their demise. It was believed that he may have been carrying a camera that would solve this mystery, but unfortunately, it was never recovered. Mallory's body wasn't discovered until 1999, and Irvine's body remains missing to this day. What happened? Got eaten? We don't know. We don't know. The first official ascent made by Nepali Indian Sherpa Tenzing Norgay and New Zealand mountaineer Edmund Hillary was made in 1953. Along the trip, Edmund Hillary had a near miss following a fall into a crevice, but was saved from hitting the bottom by Norgay's prompt action in securing the rope using his ice axe. Whoa. This led Hillary to consider him his climbing partner of choice for any future summit attempts. Heart. Nothing like a thin line between life and death to bring friends closer together, right? Right. What's even more touching is... No offense, like, I love you, but I hope we never have to bond more because More than that? Yeah, like, someone saves the other person from death very narrowly. Yeah, let's just not... Like, I really... Yeah, like, I don't want to experience... Yeah. That's why you, that. when you want me to yes and you, I'm like, I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> That's what happens. Okay. <laughs> What's even more touching is Jamling, one of Tenzing's sons, would join Edmund Hillary's son, Peter, in climbing Whoa. Mount Everest in 2003 on the 50th anniversary of their father's climb. Wow. So sweet. That's cool. Norgay and Hillary's successful ascent inspired droves of hopeful climbers, experienced and not, to attempt the treacherous journey up the mountain. But even with modern technology, established routes, and skilled Sherpas, the trek is still very dangerous and incredibly challenging, even for experienced climbers. Mm -hmm. Commercial traffic on the mountain has increased dramatically, despite the warning that no guide can guarantee a climber's safety on the trip. After 2000, the number of climbers continued to rise, reaching a peak of 630 climbers in 2007 and exceeding 800 climbers in 2018. Mm. Such large throngs of climbers inevitably created traffic jams in some of the narrow passages. One of the more notorious of those instances was on May 19, 2012, where a record number of climbers became dangerously backed up at the Hillary Step. Four people died then, prompting (gasps) expedition leaders to better coordinate their final ascents with one another. Wow. So, despite better efforts to coordinate, in 2019, long lines prevented several climbers from ascending and descending quickly enough to replenish their oxygen supply. Eleven climbers died as a result, though the season saw a number of record ascents, with as many as 885 reaching the summit. So, there's this picture of two lines. Mm Mm-hmm. One group going down, one group going up, and it is just a thick line of people to get to the top of Mount Everest. Wow. You are literally waiting in line. It's crazy. As we'll come to find out, climbers will endure a number of challenges while ascending the mountain. Mm -hmm. It's a test of physical fitness, personal stamina, and mental strength. Not to mention the potential of avalanches, sub-zero temperatures, and changes in altitude. Right. Now, I know I just sold you real well on this, but before you go up and like hop on a plane to go to Everest, you'll need to be in great shape physically, emotionally, and psychologically. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I know. Never going to get there. Uh, First off, your training regimen needs to begin at least six months in advance, but preferably a year before your two-month trek to the top of the world. Oh, my God. That's right. This journey will take about two months. 
to get up to the top of Mount Everest. The training regimen should consist of strength and endurance training while carrying about 50 to 60 pounds for physical conditioning. So although your pack won't be this heavy, once you reach high altitudes, you will start (gasps) to lose musculature and body fat from being in these conditions for over two months. Next, cardiovascular training. Yeah, I'm going to tell you why all this happens too. Next, cardiovascular training is necessary with aerobic exercises like jogging, cycling, and swimming, as well as a pack-loaded uphill hike, stair climbing, and walking. This training works to expand your lungs and help you breathe easier at high-altitude conditions. Dude, the people's calves are probably, like, insane. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They got some nice calves. They're probably, like, rock hard. Biggest (laughs) calves, biggest lungs. Yeah. Yeah. Additionally, <laughs> sorry, I know, crazy, right? Do you know, this is totally weird, but my dad has massive calves. <laughs> I don't think I've ever taken note of his calves. His best friend always makes fun of him for it. It's really funny to me. Like massive, like fat calves? No, just, oh. he just has big calves. Like, he's a little stockier, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So his calves are just like stocky. I'm all, I always take note of people's... And I don't know if this is good because my calves are long. Uh-huh. But like, have you ever seen someone with like super fucking short calves? No. Like their oh, ankle happens yeah. and it's just skinny, skinny, skinny. And then there's just like a little tiny uh, like a little square. Piece of, of it's your like calf. A, a tiny little chicken breast. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like I look at those people's calves and I'm like, don't calve shame. Like what's going on? Mine are long, though. Like, maybe I could lose some length on mine. I think I have proportional calves. Yeah, I feel like... I mean, I think maybe I I could do to lose some thighs, though, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Same. I mean, hey. Hey, if I die on Mount Everest, you can eat my hips first, because those will be good Delicious. morsels of fat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. Appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> so, in addition to all of this, you will need to gain technical mountaineering training, working with mm-hmm. gear like fixed ropes, carabiners, ascenders, Jumar, crampons, and other mountaineering crampons. Crampons. It's essential to have these top-notch skills in these areas to combat rugged terrain, snow, and ice. They should make tampons, like a meme brand tampons called crampons. Anyways. More like want it to be cramp-offs. Mm. You want to get that cramp. Get your cramp on to get it off. I don't know. Sorry. Anyways. Get your cramp on to get it off. <laughs> okay. We'll cut that. We'll cut that. Yeah, that was not funny. <laughs> so now that we're at peak physical condition, because mm-hmm. we obviously are, it's time to shell out the cash. Okay. Your trip up Mount Everest can cost anywhere from 28000 to $85,000. There are companies that you can hire to guide your journey, providing the assistance of Sherpas, supplying food and oxygen and additional gear. Mm-hmm. So the Sherpa people and indigenous groups have long inhabited the valleys of the Himalayas. Sherpa means mountain guide, though it actually refers to an ethnic group. Mm. So the Sherpa has valuable experience in mountain climbing, making these treks possible with their logistical help and in-depth knowledge. Their way of life extends beyond helping Everest climbers, consisting of farming, herding, and trade. Yeah, I thought Sherpa meant like a fabric, like a sheep wool fabric. Oh, I don't know. It might mean that. But I'm not sure. But I mean, it has multiple meat. Like, yeah, that's the I, that's the only really way I knew of it. Yeah. Yeah. And because this group lives at high altitudes, 
year-round, they are accustomed to low oxygen levels. Mm -hmm. So living at altitude for generations, they have developed a genetic natural allowance for it, which is so cool to me. Um, It reminds me of the group in, I believe, the Philippines, but I think I'm wrong, that have natural adaptation to, like, diving, and their lungs basically have the ability to, like keep them underwater for five minutes or something yeah. like that and that's insane yeah, yeah like insane it's crazy that we can adapt yeah, that fast it is cool on may 13th 1994 kami rita a nepali sherpa guide stood atop mount everest for the first time in his life wow in the next 25 years he would go on to stand at the top of that mountain a total of 25 times holding the record for the most successful summits to the top of mount everest he also holds the record for the most 8,000-meter summits, which is, like, right before you get to the top, mm. at 38 total. Wow. He says, I treat every climb with the same sincerity as the first. Whenever a client is successful, it makes my day. I believe breaking records is just a byproduct. Just cool. so sweet. He just loves it. Yeah. In That's this, awesome. In the same breath, he says, I always try to make sure every client succeeds to the summit, but there is a line. The moment I realize that any of my clients will not make it, I will abort the mission. At the end of the day, Kami is concerned about the safety of his climbers. A lot of climbers think that just because they have a Sherpa guide who has summited the Mm -hmm. Mount Everest several times, that they'll be rescued when they get in trouble. And this is obviously not the case. Alan Arnett, expert mountaineer and writer, says even the strongest Sherpa cannot take an incapacitated person lower by themselves or expect extra oxygen to be delivered at 8,400 meters at a moment's notice. Helicopters have their limits, as do rescue policies and GPS devices. Unfortunately, in the present day, the Sherpa people have been exploited by climbers, and their traditional way of life has been disrupted by foreign climbers. Well. As we do. Yeah. This is like, unfortunately, every part of our episodes at this point. Sherpa guides are faced with some of the highest death rates in any field of employment for comparatively little pay. Mm. I was reading in an article about Kami's family, Mm. and he grew up very poor, and this was, like, kind of one of the limited employment options that were available Mm -hmm. to the people there. So he kind of did it out of necessity and, like, you know, became really good and way of life and all that, but he's, like, to his kids, like, do not. Yeah. You're not going to be doing that. Yeah, it's just interesting that he, mm. while he does it and he's like the world record holder, he's like, yeah, you're not going to do that, yeah. kids. So yeah. he doesn't like want his kids to follow in his footsteps at all. <laughs> no, I, I get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's a dangerous yeah. field. Yeah. And obviously it's comparatively little pay for the amount of risk you have. And it's seems like it's life and death which it is right so the term sherpa is often used by foreigners to refer to almost any guide or climbing supporter hired Mm. for mountaineering regardless of their ethnicity because of this usage the term has become a slang byword for a guide or mentor in other situations Mm -hmm. sherpas are renowned in the international climbing and mountaineering community for their hardiness expertise and experience at very high altitudes which is when the term should be used reserving it for true experts that are in the specific ethnic group. Mm-hmm. So just a reminder to please, 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 please be respectful. Yes. So to get up the mountain, there are two main climbing routes, one on the southeast ridge of Nepal and one on the north ridge of Tibet. The southeast ridge from Nepal is the quote unquote easier and more popular mm-hmm. route mm-hmm. of the two. So this was the route taken by Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay on the first successful ascent of Mount Everest. 
Along the route, there are six camps. There's the base camp, there's camps one through four, and then there's the summit. Mm. Most attempts are made in May. This is because of the weather. So climbers spend a couple of weeks at base camp acclimating to the altitude changes. Mm -hmm. During this time, the Sherpas and climbers will set up ropes and ladders to conquer the daunting Kumbu Icefall. Oh, jeez. Kumbu Icefall is considered one of the most dangerous stages of the journey. And I, I like, keep reading this in, like, every stage, though. So it's like, <laughs> and it, then the at every turn, is the you most are dangerous. gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> the glacier forming the icefall moves an estimated 0.9 to 1.2 meters, or 3 to 4 feet, down the mountain every day. So that's Jeez. pretty significant for a daily move. So it's like an avalanche, kind of. Like, it's like the ice melting. It's like a very slow-moving avalanche. Yeah, okay. Because yeah. it's probably, everything's melting a little bit, probably. Yes. Yeah. So this causes large crevices to open up with little warning and create sudden collapses with large towers of ice. Lovely. Known as seracs. Lovely. So these seracs range in size from roughly the size of a car to a large house that oh. tumble down the glacier from time to time. Casual. Lovely. So since the icefall is continually changing, crossing the Kumbu icefall is so dangerous that extensive rope and ladder crossings cannot always prevent the loss of life. Exposed crevices may be easily avoided, but some may be hidden under dangerous snow bridges through which unwary climbers can fall to their death in an instant. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. On April 18th, 2014, around 6.30 a.m., 16 Nepalese climbers were killed by an avalanche in the Kumbu Icefall. Only 13 bodies were recovered and nine others sustained blunt trauma injuries. The climbers were preparing their route when the avalanche engulfed them suddenly. Oh, my gosh. Usually, this ascent is made before dawn when temperatures are lower to reduce the risk of ice melting and sliding. Yeah. So, after you go and you acclimate at base camp you go to camp two which is known as advanced base camp (laughs) (laughs) or abc so near the camp lies the western valley or the valley of silence as the topography of the area generally cuts off wind from the climbing route so the high altitude and a clear windless day can make it unbearably hot for Mm -hmm. climbers it's Mm. like (laughs) It's like a fussy baby. Like, yeah. now I'm hot, now I'm cool. Now yeah. I'm hot, now I'm cold. Um, I'm sure that fucking sucks. Like, yeah. going from extreme cold to, cold ex- to being like, I'm going to die of yeah. heat exhaustion. Yeah. Literally, this sounds like my worst oh, nightmare. No. Yeah. I will never be the person that wants to climb to the top. No. Or anywhere near, actually, because yeah. I hate the cold. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Oh, so you're just surrounded by ice and snow and cold like the entire time. Yeah. Yep. And you're you're doing this for two months and you're basically camping for, right, for two camping. months. Camping. Camping. I fucking hate and camping. And climbing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Right. Like I was bitching about s- walking through a sludge of gray snow <laughs> in Philly. Like I'm not going to go no. <laughs> to the top of a mountain. Yeah. No yeah. way. Next, climbers ascend the mountain face to camp three using mm-hmm. fixed ropes. So fixed ropes are like those ropes that are like are basically attached to the mountain mm-hmm. with yeah. uh, little yes. fasteners and stuff. So you're kind of like climbing, scaling and on all fours. Yeah. It just seems like a lot. Whenever I see those things in like nature document or like whatever, I'm like, there had to be person number one to set that shit up. I know. Up. I know. Because it's like nature didn't put those ropes in those 
little like stakes or whatever's yeah, holding the rope stakes yeah. in there. Yeah. It it's, just fucking no. right. Someone had to do that without any ropes themselves. They're so. like, all right, intern, yep. get up there. You're doing it. <laughs> Go get it. And then, oop, the intern died. All right, let's get Harry up there. Second and, you know, like, it's just no. So from camp three to four, climbers face two additional challenges, the Geneva Spur and the Yellow Band. The Geneva Spur is flanked on both sides by steep gullies that become dangerously exposed to avalanches after snowfall and has grooves of bare ice after dry spells. Okay. The yellow band is where climbers encounter a mixture of marble and other metamorphic rock, also scaling these areas and fixed ropes. So it's just like very, very difficult huh. climbing. Huh. Very slippery, you'll, probably. Yeah. You'll see that like the distance between the camps gets shorter and shorter yeah. because it's harder and harder. And also you're getting higher and higher. So it's like you can't move as fast. Yeah. It continues to be challenging. Wow. Climbers then enter what is chilly known as the death zone (laughs) (laughs) where even the most experienced climbers face debilitating conditions again my worst nightmare why would you want to do this (laughs) like getting hives looking this up i'm like i would not want to do this so at eight thousand meters humans experience a faster heart rate with a decrease in blood pumped to the rest of your body non-essential functions and the body's ability to digest food are suppressed that's the other thing. Wait. All I want to do is eat. I'm going to just want to eat. I can't eat. You can't digest food? Your body's ability is suppressed. So it's just going slower. You're essentially shutting down your body to function at bare minimum. At least that's my interpretation of it. So there the oxygen levels are only a third of what they are at sea level. And the barometric pressure causes weight to feel 10 times heavier. Oh, my gosh. The combination of these two makes climbers feel sluggish, disoriented, and fatigued, and can cause extreme distress on your organs. Temperatures in the death zone are so low that snow is well frozen, and death or injury by slipping and falling can occur easily. Facing high winds, climbers can take up to 12 hours to travel a little over one mile to the summit. Holy shit. Yeah. For all these reasons, climbers don't usually last more than 48 hours in this area. And this is the probably the most shocking part of the death zone. Or not shocking, because it's actually perfectly branded. It's riddled <laughs> with bodies. Oh, my okay? God. Bodies on the mountain, you say? <laughs> because of the treacherous conditions in the death zone, standard protocol is to leave people where they die. Mm-hmm. Their corpses remain on the mountaintop. For always and eternity. It's so creepy. Serving as a warning to all who pass. That's so creepy. Yeah. So one of the most famous bodies on the mountain is known as Green Boots. Yes, I remember him. Yes. The identity of Green Boots is highly contested, but is most widely believed to be Tezwang Paljor. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. An Indian climber who died in 1996. Mm -hmm. Before the body's recent removal... Green Boots' body rested near a cave that all climbers must pass by on their way to the peak. The body became a grim landmark used to gauge how close one was to the summit. Yeah, I know. It's like... uh, I bet, like, it's also really creepy looking because I think of, like, the temperature and the conditions. So you know that it's not, like, a skeleton. You know that it's probably, like... Do you want to see? Oh, I guess. It, It looks like somebody is asleep. 
and it's in 90s gear so it's like bright green boots so creepy i really don't like that at all do you want to see more pictures no actually this is probably the chillest one let's just let's just uh, yeah i want to i want want to yeah let me see okay so there's this one is when they found george mallory's body his skin is basically like i can't really tell what oh see that's that's his his head and this is his skin and that's his arm oh my god so disturbing this was the stuff that was found with him and then this is like, yeah, this one's the craziest one. It's like a person like hunched over and Hannelore Schmatz. She survived a snowstorm that hit overnight and then made it almost the rest of the way down to the camp before a lack of oxygen and frostbite resulted in her like dying from exhaustion. She was only 330 feet from the base camp. Oh, my God. I know. It, it's so that one's like the most horrific body. Just because it's not like laying down, it's like hunched sitting yeah. up. It's oh God. Horrible. If you guys go to the link in the All That's Interesting Mount Everest bodies in our episode <laughs> description, you can see them, but we won't post those. <laughs> I'm not going to post them. Yeah. Sorry. I might post green boots, yeah. to be honest, but that one wasn't so bad. Yeah, because it it's just... all like climbing. He, he's all covered by climbing gear, yeah. so you're not seeing, you can kind of like disassociate that there's a human there yes. a little bit. Yes. But the other ones, it's like, oh, that's a human. Yeah. You see that you see that their skin, their, you know, yeah. it's, it's creepy skulls. Yeah. And I don't like it. Yikes. Almost 80% of people also take shelter in the cave where Green Boots is, mm-hmm. which kind of makes it hard to miss. So in 2006, a climber named David Sharp was attempting the summit on his own, a feat which even the most advanced climbers would warn against. Because, mm. like don't fucking do that it's hard to do so he stopped to rest in green boots's cave and over the course of several hours he froze to death his body stuck in a huddled position just feet from one of the most famous mount everest bodies oh my god but unlike green boots who had gone unnoticed during his time of death at least 40 people passed by sharp the day while he was still alive (gasps) yeah varying accounts of his condition would generate some of the controversies after his death There's a lot of criticism to what a trek up Mount Everest has morphed into an all or nothing mission to get to the top with every man for himself. Yeah. Edmund Hillary. Because it's like if you stop maybe to help someone, that's wasting your time and resources. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Every man for themselves. Right. And Edmund Hillary criticized the current fanaticism of people who just want to get to the top and declared that on his expedition there was no way that you would have left a man under a rock to die yeah and it's a tricky situation to be honest when you're up on the mountain it's literally a situation of life and death so trying to save someone in need of help is like putting your life at a great risk as well because the effort needed to save someone like is it's an extreme physical effort right it's wasting your oxygen exactly. so it, it is kind of opening you up to a lot of harsh areas yeah. too so it's it's a very tricky situation now in the modern day the weight is taken considerably off of climbers to physically help and puts the focus on sending a call to rescue organizations in the region mm. with modern technology rescue missions consist of a helicopter and a rescue team If they can't safely land their aircraft at the scene, they deploy a technique called long line rescue, 
which is when a long spool of rope unwinds mm-hmm. and you rappel down below to get to the victims. Mm-hmm. The victim is secured at the other end of the rope, whether they are conscious or not. Yeah. Dangling dozens of feet below the helicopter, the victim and rescuer are flown to the nearest emergency medical station. Damn. I know. Cheering Denduck boat is one of the rescuers that experiences this high stress and physically demanding job. He's one of the best in the region, conducting 21 of the 35 longline rescues performed in the Himalaya since 2008. Wow. Yeah. He has a true passion for making Nepal a safe place for climbers. It's literally like very cool, very admirable job. Out of the 4,000 individuals who attempted to scale the mountain, 309 have perished as a result of the trek. Fuck. Yeah, I know. What's that percentage? 309 over 4,000? I think it evens out to be one or two percent yeah but some years it's like one in 30 climbers right you know it changes every year i think it lands at about one percent but some years it's two percent some years it's under one percent so it really changes but you have about a one percent chance of dying wait that's seven percent no yes it is because 309 divided by four thousand, and then you move the decimal point over twice Is that so? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's almost 8% people die. I guess. I guess. <laughs> okay. I think... But like, Oh, I think... You know what I think the percentage is? The one percentage is? Mm. The people that make it to the top, maybe? Oh, maybe. Because some people don't complete yeah. the, mis- oh, yeah. the mission. So, yeah. Right. So 4,000 yes. people total have tried to scale it. Got it. 300 have died. The people who have made it to the top and died is 1%. Got you. The people who take a trek and die may or may not have made it to the top is 7%. 7.7%. 7. 7. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Thank you, mathematician Carly. You're welcome. And that's why you took calculus and I Ugh, didn't. Cheated my way through calc. <laughs> At least 68 deaths can be attributed to avalanches, mm-hmm. 67 to fatal falls, 27 deaths to exposure, and 21 deaths to altitude sickness. Mm. So, there, so those are some of the heavy hitter yeah. factors. Here are some of the deadliest recorded events on the mountain. Great. Let's go. Let's hear it. So on April 5th, 1970, six Nepalese Sherpas died when an icefall avalanche claimed their lives. The incident occurred on the Kambu Icefall, which we talked about right. already, between base camp and camp one. This icefall was the site of a future 2014 Mount Everest ice avalanche, which... I will cover in a bit, and we talked about earlier. The Sherpas were assisting the members of the Uchiro Mura Ski Everest Expedition in their ascent to Mount Everest at the time of the disaster. Six climbers died on September 9, 1974, while attempting to climb the West Ridge Direct. The team encountered a deadly avalanche at around 6,600 meters high that killed them. The deaths of these mountaineers were recorded as the 31st to 36th deaths yes. on Mount Everest. Yes. The majority of the victims were Sherpas. Mm -hmm. The next disaster in 1996 is associated with one of the worst seasons for climbing in Everest. The disaster happened between the 10th and 11th of May in 1996. Severe weather conditions triggered a blizzard that killed eight people as a result. Further deaths also occurred over the season due to extreme weather conditions. The disasters gained wide publicity and made people question the benefits of the expeditions. Hmm. Yeah. 
In 2014, disaster struck Mount Everest again when 16 Nepalese guides died in an ice avalanche in April 18th, 2014. Honestly, this makes me so... It's like crazy that Kami Rita mm-hmm. guy survived freaking right. all the summits. Like, right. it's such a dangerous job. Yeah. The collapse of Seracs, those things that yes. could be either the size of a car or a house. Yes. You know, chill. On the Western Spur triggered the disaster. The site of the incident was the same Kabul icefall that was previously responsible for the 1970 Mount Everest disaster. So within a span of two days, 13 bodies were recovered from the disaster site while the search for the remaining bodies was called off due to dangerous conditions. The disaster was followed by widespread anger among Sherpa guides who threatened to protest and strike against the Nepalese government's meager offer for compensation to the victims' families. Mm. On April 22nd, the Sherpas decide to stay away from work for the rest of the year as a mark of respect for those who died. Yeah. Yeah. But the most deadly disaster of all occurred the following year on April 25th, 2015, when a powerful earthquake struck Nepal. The jolts of the earthquake set off massive avalanche in Pumori, a mountain eight kilometers west of Mount Everest. The mountaineers were taken completely by shock of the avalanche and at least 22 of them died Hmm. at the time of the disaster 359 climbers were there at the base camp many of whom had returned to attempt climbing everest after the 2014 season had been aborted Mm -hmm. 19 bodies of mountaineers were recovered by the indian army mountaineering team and a large number of climbers who were stranded at various locations on the mountain were rescued while many of these expeditions are for personal accomplishment, there's a great deal of scientific research happening on the oh. mountain. Yeah, which I did not expect. Yeah. So six decades of records show that the glaciers around Mount Everest have thinned by more than 100 meters since oh. the 1960s, showing the rate of ice mass lost has consistently accelerated over the past six decades. Great. And now they're even thinning at extreme altitudes of 6,000 meters or above. Which is kind of scary. Yes. Um, because these observations show the impact of climate change on the cryosphere in central Himalaya. Cryosphere is the frozen water part of the Earth system. So this includes frozen oh, yeah. parts of the ocean, such as water surrounding Antarctica and the Arctic. Icebergs, yep. snow caps. Mm-hmm. Got it. This increased glacier mass loss will affect communities downstream by increased pressure on water resources and through glacier hazards developed through deglacierization. 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 Deglaciation. Deglaciation. That sounds good. The loss of glaciers. (laughs) (laughs) So glacial lake outburst floods or GLOFs. (laughs) <laughs> have occurred in the Himalaya. Not a funny subject, but g- the gloffs really get gloffs. me. Gloffs. <laughs> Probably like, it's called the GLOFs. Um, and glacier recession will fuel the formation and expansion of glacial lakes. In addition to the numerous studies happening, you can also, quote unquote, climb the mountain with a team of scientists in National Geographic's 360 virtual experience as they study the effects of climate change on the most extreme environments on Earth. The National Geographic and Rolex Perpetual Planet Everest expedition begins at 17,300 feet at base camp and then ends at 27,000 feet near the summit of Mount Everest. So you can join the team as they like collect ice cores and place the world's highest weather station and gather hundreds of samples along the way 
or you can just putz around like I did looking at shit because um, it's a 360 like yeah. view. So you so they're like doing the work and I'm just like, what's this over here? Like I'm just, yeah. just spinning looking. around. That's kind of cool. cool. That is cool. Yeah, we'll post the link in our episode notes. It's it's pretty fun. And then last but certainly not least, we have the Yeti. Oh, yeah. Known in Himalayan folklore as an ape like creature purported to inhabit the Himalayan mountain range. The Yeti. The Yeti. I have a Yeti um, coffee mug right ooh, there. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, or in yeah, the or I'm, in the West we call it the abominable snowman. Yes. Yeah, so supposed evidence of the uh, existence of the Yeti include anecdotal visual sightings, disputed <laughs> video recordings, <laughs> photographs, and casts of large footprints. Some of these are speculated or known at to be hoaxes, but we know the real story here. Yes. So folklorist That trace- was a lot for those yeah. of you who couldn't see. Could you feel everybody. my quotes? Air quote. Could you feel those quotes? Um, so folklorists trace the origin of the Yeti to a combination of factors, including Sherpa folklore and misidentified fauna, such as a bear yak. But I'm sorry, but like how... Could you not tell if it was a bear or a yak? Come on, people. Mm-hmm. It's clearly. In all the cartoons that I've seen that the lovely Yeti slash abominable snowman, he's got like white fur too. And I would think that. I don't actually think based on what I've read that he has white fur. Ugh. He has dark fur. So it's basically Sasquatch. But it's a human. Yeah, it's like a Sasquatch. Yeah. yeah. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. A.K.A. Sasquatch. That's the, the big squatch. Yeah. <laughs> so this elusive cryptid was part of the pre-Buddhist beliefs of several Himalayan people. Ooh. The Lepcha people, an indigenous peoples of Sikkim, Nepal, and India, worshipped the glacier being as the god of hunt. It is also reported that followers of the Bon religion once believed that the blood of the mere god, or wild man, was used in certain spiritual ceremonies. This being was depicted as an ape-like creature who carries a large stone as a weapon and makes a whistling swoosh sound. Whoa. Cool. That's really cool. I know. In 1832, James Princeps' Journal of the Asiatic Society of Bengal published trekker B.H. Hodgson's (laughs) gobbledygook, gobbledygook (laughs) account of his experiences in northern Nepal, where his guides spotted a tall bipedal creature covered in long dark hair which seemed to flee in fear <gasps> hodgson concluded it was an orangutan but we know the truth yeah there is an early record of reported footprints in 1899 in lawrence waddles among the himalayas he reported his guide's description of a large ape-like creature that left prints the frequency of reports increased during the 20th century when Westerners began to make attempts to scale the many mountains in the area and occasionally reported seeing odd creatures or strange tracks. On March 19, 1954, the Daily Mail printed an article that described expedition teams obtaining hair specimens from what was an alleged Yeti scalp found at the Pangboch Monastery. Professor Frederick Wood Jones, an expert in human and comparative anatomy, studied the hairs, which were bleached, cut into sections, and analyzed microscopically. The research consisted of taking microphotographs of the hairs and comparing them to the hairs of known animals, such as bears and orangutans. 
and human, I'm assuming. Um, I believe so. Yeah, that would just make sense to me. Yeah. 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 Well, he was unable to pinpoint exactly the animal from which the hairs were taken, but he was convinced that the hairs were not from a bear or an ape, but were instead from the shoulder of a coarse-haired hooved animal. Wink, wink. Huh. Yeah. So in 1959, supposed Yeti feces were collected and fecal analysis <laughs> found a parasite which could not be classified. Mystical parasites, Carly. Yikes. The United States government thought that finding the Yeti was likely enough to create three rules for American travelers that would go on expeditions. Number one, obtain a permit. <laughs> Number two, do not harm the Yeti except in self-defense. <laughs> Number three, let the Nepalese government approve any news reporting the animal's discovery. Wow. There have been a number of unsubstantiated claims of sightings, <laughs> footprints, and additional collected specimens. In early December 2007, an American television presenter, Joshua Gates, and his team reported finding a series of footprints resembling that of a Zeddy. A, ye- a Zeddy's. Zeddy! Zaddy. Zaddy <laughs> of a Yeti. Each of the footprints measured 13 inches in length with five toes and measured a total of 25 centimeters across. Or nine inches across. 9.8. Casts were made of the footprints for further research. They were examined by Jeffrey Meldrum of Idaho State University, who believed them to be too morphologically accurate to be fake or man-made. Before changing his mind, after making further investigations, who made him change his mind? Who was it? Was it the government? It was the Yeti. It was the the Zeddy. The the, the Zeddy came in. He was zaddied up. He had his hair combed and he was in a little suit. (laughs) And he had glasses and he said, he put a briefcase on the table and pushed it forward. Yeah. And it was like, this is to keep you quiet. Yeah, exactly. And in 2009, Gates presented hair samples with a forensic analyst concluding that the hair contained an unknown DNA sequence. What? What? And in April 2019, an Indian Army mountaineering expedition team claimed to have spotted mysterious Yeti footprints. Measuring 32 inches by 15 inches. That's big. So the real question is, what are they hiding up there? A Yeti. Obviously. A couple Yetis. It's it's A Zeti. That's what you all, that's what like, you gotta know. Is like the Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, Abominable Snowman (laughs) situation. There's more than one. There's gotta be. If they exist, there's not just one. (laughs) You know, it's not a single squatch or a single yeti. A single squatch. Yeah. It's it's gotta be like a little species, but who knows? It probably doesn't exist. (laughs) So in my research on the yeti, Mm -hmm. the Russian government had quote unquote captured a yeti and they were like, it was female with hairy legs and was very hungry and wanted to eat meat. And I was like, what are they trying to say about this female yeti? Like, I don't get it. Um, um that's me like i know i know i was like excuse me i wasn't I in russia i haven't shaved in a couple months it's the middle of winter it's like i'm hungry uh, <laughs> what are you trying to get at what are you trying to say bro and uh living next to russia no yeah <laughs> sorry oh my gosh so relevant sorry russia i'm sure you're all great people i know they are but you know then you got I mean, I'm just, yeah, whatever. We don't really, we don't need to comment. That was my shoulder. We're cricking and cracking. And uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk on Mount Everest. Oh, that's it? (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Do you want more? I can do more. 
I can do songs. I can do dance. That was great. But what are they hiding? No, I'm just kidding. That's really where I wanted to end this is love it. What are, are they, they hiding? hiding? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They- don't ever catch me fucking climbing a Mount Everest ever. No. It's never going to okay. happen. Apparently. Okay. So the other thing I want to talk about oh. is in Mount Everest, like you type in Mount Everest and it's like the Google location. Mm-hmm. There are so many odd fucking questions. On oh, the, on, on Google? Yeah. So on like, like the Google business questions? Yeah, hold on. So let, oh me, my gosh. let me get this up for a second. First of all, apparently there's a Del Taco on the fucking <laughs> mountain. No, there isn't. Listen, listen, come here. Okay. So this is the thing. I also cannot tell if these are like people being assholes or people being funny. Is there a Del Taco close to the summit? Yes, but they don't allow flip-flops. No shoes, no shirt, no service. What the fuck? It's someone being funny. I know. Can a small boy climb Mount Everest? (laughs) Yes, I took my son that is nine months old. Truly the best and only experience in his very short life. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, It it just like, it gives me so. Is there (laughs) Wi-Fi? Wow. Yeah. It's honestly, I was just looking at it like, do you have any steakhouses there? No, but a Del Taco. <laughs> I actually am like, we were just but talking is about, there a Del yeah, Taco Yeah, we were actually there? just talking about Del Taco yesterday. Delicious. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I just want to know. Is there though? <laughs> wow. Beautiful. So that is Mount Everest. That was awesome. Is it cold up there? No. No. It's not bad. You just need a light jacket. Like, how much trolling? How much snow is on Mount Everest in terms of bananas? Did someone seriously write that? Yeah. that That's a try hard again right there. How long did it take to get to Mount Everest and the Mountain of the Devil? What? I don't know. That person was serious. They really wanted to know that. Why don't people live there? There's totally houses on the mountain. Idiots. Wow. If you wow. did, if you listened to our episode, you would know. No. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to ask these stupid questions. Anyways, it's just, <laughs> can you hike up during the summer in Speedos? Oh, my gosh. It's like people are just being. Being, trying to be funny. A little, a little jerk. Little what is jerky. Mount Everest made by? Google Prolly. <laughs> Prolly. <laughs> Prolly. Wow. Great job, Kels. Yes, As thank always. Thank you. Beautifully researched, beautifully delivered. Just glad to be snuggled up listening and not in the cold it's Arctic tundra. Yes, that we're it, living in. it constantly reminds me how thankful I am to yes. not be in a cold region. Well, when you're talking about like, oh, look at the like National Geographic 360 from the comfort of your couch with a Yo. bowl, like with a mug of hot chocolate and exactly, and then you don't dog. have to overcrowd the freaking. Yep situation like obviously you want to support their local business but at the same time like let's not overcrowd things like let's we don't need to do it let's really prioritize what we want to do in our lives and maybe not like overcrowd everything yes prioritize your happiness yes we had a good conversation Mm -hmm. about that last night prioritizing your happiness doing what makes you happy as long as it doesn't hurt others obviously well we shouldn't need that caveat but we got that prioritize your happiness is me basically means like take an active role in doing things that make you happy in your life and it versus a passive role and sometimes it's hard because it's 
almost February and it's really cold and it's dark a lot of days, but you still got to go and say, what's going to make me feel good today? What am I, what should I do? And you go and you fucking do it. Even if you're cold and And grouchy. Live your best life. Exactly. I have to tell myself that all the time too. It's very hard to do, but yeah. To end on a slightly sad, but possibly positive (laughs) note prioritize your happiness yes and thank you for listening and don't climb the mountain maybe i wouldn't be surprised if one of my friends from college would want to do it because he lives in seattle i believe and like we're not that close anymore i just see social media you know social media stuff he does like actual ice climbing and shit and even that stuff looks insane and yeah. he's just in, like, the Pacific Northwest. I was going to say, even I'm just things like, out in the Pacific Northwest look so yeah, intense. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. I. He would be the only person that I know who maybe could do it, but that's also, I don't even know if he could. But that's just because he already does a lot of he's shit He's the one like person that. you know that climbs mountains? Yes. <laughs> he's the only one I know who climbs mountains. So Yeah. Yeah. Another sad thing about Mount Everest which I didn't say, but I should. I will say anyways, is there's, like, a lot of trash mm, in, like, bummer. the camp areas. I think, from what I was reading, the Sherpas, like, clean it up every mm-hmm. year, which is, like, very nice of them. But also, like, guys, don't be assholes. Yeah. Like, do not leave trash on a beautiful mountain, mountain. Yeah. that you can observe from far away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. Prioritize your own happiness and don't be assholes and don't don't litter. be a litter bug. Don't be a litter bug. Come on. Come on. But we're lecturing you this season. Yes. Yeah, no. Just kidding. Have a great day. Have a good one. Stay warm. Stay sexy. Oh, wait. Love kidding. yourself and love the one you're with. <laughs> love the one you're with. Bye. Bye. Bye.